Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson. When we think about the seasons, we might think about winter, spring, summer and autumn, or fall if you're in the States. Or we might think about the dry season and the wet season, or even the hungry season. But have you ever thought about the seasonality of political violence? Recent research suggests that protests and riots are more likely to decrease during harvest months and are even less likely when the price of what is being harvested, like rice, is high. Today's guest is here to tell us about the relationship between social conflict and agricultural shocks in Southeast Asia and how, in regions with high agricultural dependence, Conflict can be linked with harvest time windfalls. To talk us through this fascinating issue, I'm joined by David Ubalava, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Sydney. David's primary research area is agricultural economics with interests in commodity markets and price analysis. In particular, David has studied the role of climate shocks on commodity price dynamics and the relationship between commodity prices and political violence in conflict-prone economies. His research has been published in leading journals in the field, including the American Journal of Agricultural Economics, the Journal of Economic Behaviour and Organisation, and World Development, among others. He is a co-editor of Food Policy and an associate editor of the American Journal of Agricultural Economics. David, thank you for joining us. Welcome to SEAC Stories. Hi, thank you, Natalie, for this excellent introduction. We're here to talk about agricultural shocks and social conflict in Southeast Asia. What first alerted you to the relationship between agriculture and social upheaval? Yeah, it's naturally evolved as part of my research agenda. And as I started interacting with colleagues in the area of political science, and what we've noticed is that a lot of studies before looked at annual changes in in conflict and protests, etc., But having an agricultural background, agricultural economics background myself, I thought, all right, so if income and employment is highly seasonal in this sector, and given that in a lot of countries, agriculture represents a very large share of economies, uh, could it be that conflict and violence also follow some seasonal patterns? So that's what got us thinking into what turned out to be this project we are talking about. So your research connects agricultural seasons with political violence. To start, can you explain these agricultural rhythms to us? Like what is being harvested, when harvest time is and how long it lasts for, and what sort of other agricultural activities are involved that make up the rest of the season? Yeah, so unlike almost any other sector, Agricultural sector is pretty much the only one that is highly seasonal in terms of employment and therefore income. So there are periods of high employment that's usually around the planting season. And then as you maintain the crops and obviously it becomes busy when you harvest it. And then and then there is some period of time, post-harvest period, where there is not much one can or need to do. So there is periods of busyness and periods of less busy times. And for many crops, and especially the annually harvested crops, such as rice, for example, that would be the case. And then because harvest is when 
yields uh, or produce is realized, and usually that's where it is sold. That's where the main inflow of income is. For most agricultural crops, that's once per year. Uh, rice is a bit different type, especially in the Southeast Asian region, because it may be harvested several times during the year. But we, we focus on main harvest seasons. And so that's one of the caveats that it could be that there are several harvest seasons throughout the uh, year, but we look at the main one that we would consider it as the main source of income. And in terms of the length of the season, it can go a couple of months. And then depending on the year, if it is dry year or extra wet year, uh, the start and end periods of the season can vary. But for the modeling purposes, we maintained one month a given year as a harvest month in a given location where the location is defined as one by one degree grid on the coordinate system. So are you looking all across Southeast Asia in in thinking about rice harvest or are there specific areas or countries that you're focusing on? In this research we're talking about, it is Southeast Asia and then we concentrate on seven countries and that's partly based on the data availability. And also there were a few countries where there was almost no conflict recorded, so there was no point of working with those countries. So we end up with seven countries in Southeast Asia. In the previous uh, paper, under the same general project, we looked at Africa. Many studies have looked at Africa just because data, especially conflict data, has been available for that region for much longer. The data set that we are using in this study, called ECLET project, for Southeast Asia, they started recording from 2010. So now we have more than 10, about 13 years of data. So it allows us to do some econometric analysis to tease out some of the effects and link agriculture with conflict. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about this data. So you managed to examine nearly 60,000 incidents over the span of 12-year monthly data from 2010 to 2021. What sort of incidents were you looking at? Are these incidents of violence? Among others, yeah. So the data set divides the incidents into six general subcategories. And some of them are large-scale incidents, such as battles. And battles usually involve, more often than not, involve uh, some kind of altercation between the state and rebels or insurgents, so like war-type incidents. And then we've got violence, which is violence against civilians. And then it is a particular type of conflict where one party is perpetrator, like a paramilitary group or someone with arms, and another party, uh, usually a victim, is a civilian who has no intention to participate in conflict. They are just a victim of a conflict. And then other groups of or subcategories of conflicts, we've got uh, protests and riots. And they are kind of along the same spectrum. The protests tend to be a bit, the way I recorded, they are a bit more peaceful, whereas riots usually have a stronger element of violence and usually it involves destroying some properties, etc. And so in this project, we specifically were interested in types of events or incidents that involve civilians. And so we will concentrate primarily on violence against civilians and protests and riots. So in, in the first instance, there's a conflict against civilians. In the second instance, we've got conflict by civilians, if you will, because protests usually involve people, hundreds of, or, or thousands of people who participate in demonstration, etc. 
Can I just ask a question about the reliability of the data that you're using to look at violence by and against civilians? Sometimes states might want to cover up acts of violence against civilians. How can you be sure that this data set with the 60,000 incidents is actually capturing all the incidents that, that you want to look at? Yeah, so it's much with most data. There is the possibility of measurement error. So the way they collect data, they look at online reports by international news or local news and, and so on. And then that's how they uh, record an incident. It could be that if incident is very minor, it is not recorded. And probably there are lots of lots of such cases, right? If a neighbor tried to capture some property of another neighbor and didn't make the news, probably it will not make the observation in the data set. One might think that when there is some bigger scale event happening in a country or in a, in a region of a country, that's where the media interest is. So probably they will pick up more, even such lower scale incidents as I just described as an example. There is issue with the quality of the data over time and with improvement of better access of to local reports because they are their presence on the internet, etc. We would like to believe that data is more accurate than it would have been 10 or 20 years ago. But yeah, that's the caveat of our study as well as any study who use, relies on such data. Yeah. So once you've got this data, how do you, do you use a calendar or something to map it against the harvest and the different times of the, the sowing and the harvesting? How do you use this data set that you've got to understand its relationship with agriculture? Yeah, so there are crop calendars that has been developed by scientists who pretty much observe historically when sowing happens in a given region and when, when harvesting happens, etc. And then which data one uses, you could look at the country level data. Country level would have been too aggregate for us. So we actually look at grid level data and then aggregate at the level of interest. And we, we confirm it with a country level data that's available by Food and Agricultural Organizations website, for example. And this is important because the region is not small, but it's not huge. And what it means is that if we just assume that there is one harvest month across the region, we would be wrong. Instead, what we have is a fair bit of variation in terms of in which calendar month is the harvest season, in which season, in which region, or in which country, or in which part of the country. And that way we have a fair bit of variation across, across locations. So we are not accidentally picking up, say, more violence or less protests in given month of the year, let's say December, when people are getting ready for New Year, so they don't want to participate in protests. As opposed, we just look at the multiple months around the year. Some months are more represented than others. For example, March is tends to be the month where most majority of the harvest happens in the region. But there are also periods of October, November, etc., that when some parts of, of this region, the harvest happens. Let's talk about the findings then. Your research shows that protests and riots decrease during these rice harvest months and that this effect nearly doubles when the prices of rice are one standard deviation higher than their historical average. Is this simply because, as you say, people are kept busy in what is quite an intense period? Yeah, that's one part of it and that's what we anticipated or hoping to find in theory that made sense to us when we started this project. 
because if an average person would like to participate in, in protests because they're unhappy about governance or whatnot, they do that. But if there is one month per year when they would rather not do that, that would be when it's not worth for them to participate in these protests. And that would be when doing something else is more valuable for, for them. So when we are talking about agricultural regions or people employed in agriculture, that would be the time of the year when they are busy harvesting and also when they are relatively happier than the other periods of the of the year because that's when they are richer, uh, relatively speaking. And they're seeing, yes, the rewards of their labour coming to fruition. So what happens outside of harvest time? Is this when we observe the most social upheaval? Looking at data, it's there are locations. We have some social upheaval outside of harvest months in the region, oftentimes, and then that is also true outside of the region. A lot of social protests tend to be linked with some major political or social events, such as elections, for example, or if there was a huge unprecedented food crisis or whatnot. But looking at the time series of the data, there are regions or locations there is more conflict in, on average, and there are regions that are less conflict on average. But when we look disentangle harvest time periods versus non-harvest time periods, that's when we see some differences. And then these differences are most pronounced in the case of protests and when we see this reduction of protests in time, in months of harvest. You describe an opportunity cost mechanism of conflict insofar as people tend to participate in protests less when there is more at stake. Can you expand on this? Yeah. So in my opinion, opportunity cost is one of the more economics concepts that is out there. And what it says is that everything that we do has its opportunity cost. My opportunity cost of participating in this podcast is me writing research or having coffee, any uh, next best thing that I could be doing. So that's the approach we take. And then we didn't introduce this, uh, that the mechanism of the opportunity cost has been voiced in this conflict literature previously. Basically, a farmer's opportunity cost of participating in, in protest is farming. And so if there were to be the time when it becomes too costly, that's at the time of when, as we said earlier, the harvest comes to fruition. So that's why the opportunity cost mechanism here, that's a role that opportunity cost mechanism plays here is deters farmer or person who is employed in the agricultural sector uh, from participating in other activities. In this case, that would be protests. Yeah, does your research account for the decision-making process around how that opportunity cost is measured and acted upon by the farmers? No, so we don't observe that. So we, it is what we call a reduced form analysis, meaning that we observe changes in conflict and we, we observe when harvest is. And then, as you noted earlier, we also observe changes in prices or some other variables. So we examine the relationship and one might think that the, in the first stage it's kind of we observe correlations and then we do a series of robustness checks and difference of the mechanisms that we think is in play to convince ourselves and the reader or the listener that what we are finding is more than just correlation and there is some kind of potential causal mechanism at play. 
We also talked about violence against civilians. What's really interesting in your research is that it shows that even though protests and riots, so violence by civilians, decrease during Rice Harvest months, it also shows that violence against civilians increases during harvest months and furthermore that this effect reverses when the prices of rice are one standard deviation higher than their historical average. How do you explain that? In our previous work, which concentrated on Africa, we found in that study we specifically concentrated on violence against civilians only. And so leading to these present results, it's kind of exciting from the standpoint of the researcher to find the confirmation of the same kind of mechanism because it's in a way external validity of our previous results. So yeah, we find increase in violence against civilians at times of harvest. And the way we explain this using the idea of the rapacity mechanism. And so what it means is that there are always some version of paramilitary groups or groups that have access to arms and are willing to engage in some kind of conflict, lower-scale conflict, for their own benefits. And then the question is, when would they do that? So a criminal will, if they have a choice of entering expensive-looking house or not-so-expensive-looking house, everything else constant, they would go after the expensive-looking house because that's when they anticipate more things to take. So now in the agricultural sector, and then looking at that time context, instead of like two houses, if a military a person with our paramilitary group would like to capture some of the goods from village, they would it make sense for them to do it at or just after harvest. Then before, when farmers usually are going through the lean season, they may not have enough to sustain themselves alone or to give someone else. So that kind of, this is the idea of behind the mechanism of rapacity. And so that's what we tend to be observing here, that the time of harvest, we have increase in violence against civilians. Also, Around the harvest is the time when when farmers are out and about, right? Harvesting or taking the harvest to their place or perhaps transporting the harvest from their place to the nearest market to sell. So not only perpetrators are around, but also potential victims are more available because conflict happens where people are. And so the harvest time is when more people are out managing the harvest. And perhaps that is one of few reasons why we see increase in violence around the time of the harvest. David, you mentioned the word rapacity, is that right? Yes. Is this a common concept in your field? In the field of economics or conflict studies, that term is used to effectively describe the capturing goods or the belongings of one person or a household by others. We're coming to the end of the podcast now. I did just want to ask you why Southeast Asia lends itself to this sort of research. You said that you've got, you're doing research on seven countries in Southeast Asia. Perhaps you could tell us which countries you're looking at and why they so lend themselves to this sort of research. When it comes to this studying economics, economic roots of conflict, you kind of are driven to the regions where conflicts happen and often involves most low- and middle-income countries. And then you also, that's partly because we've got relatively 
low-income societies where one bag of rice, for example, would make a big difference both for a farmer as well as for the perpetrator. So similar analysis in Western Europe perhaps wouldn't have given much results. So that's why our studies, but also a lot of studies on the topic, is usually around Africa, Southeast Asia, Central America, etc. We were driven to this region because of the proximity to Australia, and we think that it's an out-of-available regions out there for us to study. This was the region that was most relevant to us. Also, as I mentioned previously, because data is relatively new, at least from the present source, and when I say new, it's 10 plus years, but it's new for the analysis, say five or seven years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do this analysis because we wouldn't have enough seasons to make any claim of causality that we are making now. And so now, because it's new and because it's relevant, we found that we were fascinated by the linkages that we found, even though it is the topic itself is not something to be fascinated about. It is a very interesting topic, though, and one that I suspect many of our listeners might not have even considered until hearing you discuss it with us. I wanted to wrap up by asking you about the future of this sort of research. We see many Southeast Asian countries transitioning to middle-income countries at the same time as we're seeing a shift towards greater urbanisation and away from agriculture. How do you think the change from low to middle income and the shift away from agriculture will affect the dynamics that you're studying? Yeah, that's a great question. And usually when a respondent prefaces their answer with that, it's a great question. That means they don't have exact answer to that question. But in this instance, it's something that also keeps researchers excited because there is room for future research. So as a result of urbanization, more people move from rural areas to urban areas there is a change in dynamics, right? So there are less people in rural areas. So in some sense, you would think that there will be less violence there. But at the same time, perhaps with less income, there is less control by state into the rural areas because a state needs to, the resources are constrained. So if, if they concentrate all of their resources of governance to their cities or, or capital cities, then there is less of it in rural areas. So would that mean that there will be more so lower-scale violence in rural areas? And that's, that's something that we have not investigated directly. Well, indirectly, we sort of do that because we look at the, uh, the share of agricultural, well, in this case, rice, the proportion of the land that is devoted to rice production compared to not. And so typically there's more of that. That's where we are trying to find the effects, if any. In other words, what we are trying to find, the effect of seasonality in rural areas relative to urban areas, right? So it could be that in both areas, there's more conflict incidents, but there is increasingly more or less, so proportionally more or less in rural areas. So that's kind of what we are finding. So you described if with urbanization was changing the income levels, etc., will that introduce some kind of patterns or dynamics that will alter the types of conflicts that we observe? Will there be more protests, less violence? Those are the things that to be researched in the future and something hopefully we will keep on working on. 
Fantastic. David, thank you for joining us on SEAC Stories. I hope the opportunity cost of spending this time with me hasn't been too high. And we're really thrilled to see where your research goes in the future. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It was really great. And thanks. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.